you know, this past 12 months has really uh, confirmed what we always knew working at the local utility. And that is that local broadband for us is an economic driver. It helps with quality of place for our community. Our customers have gotten to the point where they expect broadband reliability to be just like electric water and sewer. Welcome to episode 457 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Rye Marcatilio McCracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. The legislative landscape in Arkansas changed dramatically earlier this year, when the state took an historic step forward in eliminating barriers to municipal broadband. This week on the podcast, Christopher is joined by two people from a municipal utility in Conway, Arkansas, to hear about their commitment to high-quality internet access over the last four decades. Chief Executive Officer Brett Carroll and Chief Technology Officer Jason Hansen share with Christopher the history of Conway Corp. They talk about how it got into telecommunications in the early 1980s by acquiring the exclusive citywide cable franchise agreement and bringing the first residents online. They also share the fruits of two upgrade cycles, one to a hybrid fiber coax system in the late 1990s, and another to drive fiber deeper into parts of the network to bring gigabit download service to residents starting in 2010. Brett and Jason finish by sharing the value they've seen the municipal broadband network bring to the community and what they see next on the horizon. Now here's Christopher talking with Brett and Jason. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Today I'm speaking with Brett Carroll, the Chief Executive Officer at Conway Corp. in Arkansas. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Christopher. Glad to, glad to be here. We also have Jason Hansen, who is the Chief Technology Officer. Welcome. Thank you, Chris. Glad to be here. Brett, let me start off with you because I always like to, for people to get a sense. Where in Arkansas is Conway and, and what is it like? Conway is about, it's in central Arkansas, uh, about 30 miles northwest of Little Rock, which is our capital city. Uh, we're a population of about 67,000. Our nickname is the City of Colleges, which is kind of unique for a city uh, of 67,000. We have three institutions of higher learning, University of Central Arkansas, uh, Hendricks College, and then Central Baptist College. And Jason and I both are people that came here in our college years, went to college here, fell in love with the community, and we've been here ever since. So I've lived longer. I grew up in Little Rock, Jason, and, and spent a lot of time in Mountain Home. And I've now lived in Conway longer than I've lived anywhere else. But, uh, you know, we, um, we're a public power company. We have a, a very diverse economy uh, in, our, in our community with manufacturing, technology, and the like. Uh, and in 1929, our city leaders decided – that they needed a municipal utility. And they did it in a pretty innovative way, connected to education. Uh, and I think that innovative spirit has really kind of guided us ever since. Jason, how long have you been in Conway? Oh, boy. Um, I guess I came to college here in 93 uh, and have been here ever since. So uh, I guess uh, you know, close to 28 years, maybe, uh, something like that. Uh, so just like Brett, I have lived here longer than I have lived anywhere else. Um, and, uh, you know, call Conway home. 
You know, it's, it's funny. I never really thought of it that way, but I'm in the same boat. Uh, here I am in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, I've lived here longer than, than any place else myself, but came here because of college. So <laughs> it's a good reason to have some colleges around. Yes, it is. So let's talk about, so you've been doing public power for 90 years then, if my math is, is correct, a little more yeah, than 90 that. 90 plus, a little, little better than 90. So how did you first get involved with, uh, with telecommunications then? So that came a bit later. You know, here we are, you know, 30 miles northwest of Little Rock. You know, I think that, um, you know, our, our broadcast signal was not great. The, the cable situation was not great. And Jim Brewer, our CEO back in 1979, he was our CEO for about 26 years. Uh, and in 1979, I think he realized that, you know, there was a need here in our community for a, a cable system and uh, didn't really have anybody that was interested in serving us. And so he had the foresight uh, with a lot of other things that he did to acquire the exclusive cable franchise agreement for the city of Conway, Arkansas. And so, uh, and again, I think that ties back to that innovative spirit. Really, in that time, in 1979, Mr. Brewer, you know, if you think about it, he was probably one of the most powerful people in the city um, because the mayor's job was a part-time position. Uh, one of, one of uh, uh, an employee who was on Mr. Brewer's leadership team was also over the planning commission. So he had a lot of, a lot of uh, momentum and a lot of leadership and a lot of ideas that really have served Conway well, but he realized that there was a, you know, here we are, had, had a college, had colleges here and had a pretty mediocre and poor cable system. And he decided he wanted to do something about that. So 1979, we had that we acquired the exclusive franchise agreement to serve the city of Conway, and uh, in 1981, some customers received our first cable transmission. So that's when it really all first began. Uh, and and you know at that time we had a 55 megahertz uh, cable <laughs> plant. That's right, no fiber, no fiber at that time. Uh, and in 1995, it was decided that our our cable plant needed to be rebuilt. So we did a big rebuild at that time. And with really kind of doxis uh, on the planning horizon, uh, the decision was to make to deploy an HFC plant. So that's that's what they did, utilizing a, at that time a 500 home node um, and a seven, 750 megahertz plant with the rebuild. Uh, a couple of other uh, of our leaders, Bill Hageman and Richie Arnold, former CEOs who have retired, still live in our community. We still bump into them a good bit. Really kind of had the vision for what an Internet, a broadband system could do for our community. Um, and, and so that was really where that vision came from, that that. You know, Conway was always hopefully a little bit progressive in our thinking and having colleges here helped drive some of that, I think. So that's really when that when that all began to happen in April of 1997. Christopher, if you can believe it, we became the third city in the country to to, to offer something other than dial up a, a broadband or, or a high speed Internet system. And we did it with a proprietary Zenith cable modems. Uh, and I tell you what, our early adopters of that system really loved the speeds that they got, it was tougher to regulate it then, you know, uh, it was, it was tougher to, to implement quality of services. And so the, they, it was all you could eat and, and they did. Uh, and some of those early adopters loved it. Uh, but 1997 is when all that happened. Were you here for that? Or is that, is that, I wish I could lay some claim to that, but no, I came in 1998. So I got to experience some of the struggles once we launched it in mm -hmm. terms of dealing with customers and paying for, I was the CFO at that time. Uh, so I came here in 1998 as the CFO. And so I got to figure out how to try to pay for some of this stuff and work out uh, arrangements with, with the electric department to pay off loans and, and things of that nature. But no, it was, it was a great time to be uh, kind of in the early stages of that launch. 
And uh, so I got to witness it and see it firsthand. But I, but I was certainly didn't have the vision behind it. I'll, I'll put it that way. And did you know Billy Ray from Glasgow at that time? Does that name ring a bell at all? Billy Ray. I yeah. do not. Okay. Know. He was one of the, he was one of the early ones. And, uh, and his, his guys were like playing around this in like 94, I think. And, and so that, that sense of you being the third one to do the mass launch, like that was a really special time, a lot of innovation, a lot of excitement. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And I think it's benefited our community in ways far beyond we ever imagined. That's wonderful. So, so what's the, what's the more recent story? You still um, have that, is that still the base um, of the, of the services that people in the community have then that, that rebuild from 97? Yeah. I mean, so we rebuilt in, in, in 95, that 750 plant. Um, but we really have been on a path roughly about every 15 years to, to do some sort of rebuild along the way. Uh, and so in 2010, we upgraded the plant again to uh, a one gigahertz HFC plant, which really opened the opportunity for us to offer even faster speeds um, a few years later. So uh, we continue to make those improvements um, to the system uh, as we've gone. Uh, and, and really the, the core of the system today is that rebuild from 2010, which was the one gigahertz nodes, uh, but much smaller node systems uh, and significantly more speed. Uh, we offer uh, gigabit services throughout our entire uh, entire community. Anywhere we serve, you can get gigabit services from us uh, all across the HFC plant. And how did that do then during the the pandemic? Came out of kind of nowhere all of a sudden. Uh, I'm going to guess you had a, some uh, a spike in requests for installs. That's what we saw just about everywhere else. But how did you how did you respond to the pandemic? Uh, the, the network really performed um, incredibly well. I, I really was pleased with, with uh, how it performed. Uh, we did see increases in upstream and downstream uh, uh, traffic, uh, pretty significant in some cases early on, uh, upwards of almost 30 percent uh, in the upstream and about 25 percent in the downstream. And so, you know, it, it certainly was there. But again, we've spent so much time upgrading and, and pouring uh, the technology back into the plant. You know, as a municipal operator, we don't have shareholders. So, you know, our shareholders are our customers. So our goal has been to always provide the best quality of service uh, in that. And so we're reinvesting continually back into the, to the network to make sure we can provide the best quality of service. But, you know, the, the pandemic really didn't cause any, any major, major issues that we saw. I mean, we certainly saw congestion. We saw the increase in installs. Uh, we had to work through, you know, how do we continue to serve our customers uh, when we couldn't go in customers' homes and, and customer service stepped up big time in, in those areas as well. But in, and in retrospect, I mean, really, uh, you know, nothing that was a super surprise for us uh, that, that stood out. I think if we hadn't done some of the work that we had done, I, I, I knew of several other operators that struggled during the pandemic just trying to figure out how to deal with the, the traffic that was being generated on their networks. And, and they struggled through that process. But for the most part, uh, like I said, we really didn't have any issues. Um, and part of that, I think, really is is we've always tried to stay about three years ahead of where we need to be. Now, we certainly didn't plan for a pandemic and say, well, we're going to we're going to think there's going to be a, 20, a pandemic in 2020. But th- those were pieces that were there. Uh, and really, the, the, the piece that guided that was we had already begun upstream enhancements to our system. Um, we would leveraged Oxys 3.1 the prior year across our entire footprint. And so those, those technologies and those pieces that we had already started really played a part as people were transitioning uh, early on. Um, I do think you know, one thing that really came from the pandemic, though, was certainly speed was important. We saw a lot of upgrades take place during the pandemic. 
to go from higher tiers of service, um, which we kind of expected. Uh, but you know, the, the bigger expectation, I think, was the reliability and the always-on availability. That's what our customers have come to expect. And, and really, to me, that's what drives our customer experience and the customer relationship that we have. Um, and, and we've been monitoring our, our internet reliability for years. Um, and on average, we're at 99.9% all the time. Internet's available to the customers whenever they need to use it. And when you're competing mostly against DSL, I'm going to guess that's that's a big deal because from what I've seen of of DSL plants in 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 non major urban areas, like what I'm trying to say is perhaps AT and T hasn't been as robust with their upgrades as in in those areas or, or whoever the the telephone provider is, as we might see in in Little Rock, um, for instance. So that reliability probably is quite a differentiator. Yes, it is. But I would say, you know, AT&T has certainly done their fair share of upgrades in our community. And, and certainly uh, they've got DSL here and, and they have you know, provided service in, in specific parts of the city that they want to target uh, to go after. But again, I think the differentiator be, between us and them outside of the reliability component of that uh, in pieces has really been the local customer um, experience and, mm-hmm. and the relationship that we have locally with those customers. I mean, we've got customers that leave us and think that they can get a better deal somewhere else or a better experience. Um, and maybe they'll save a few dollars uh, for a short period of time, but typically we get those customers back. Uh, and it's really driven through that customer experience that that drives that. And, and I would say one other thing there, I agree with, with everything Jason said, but you know, you see a lot of uh, a lot of our competition, they'll have, you know, some sort of gift card deal or we'll give you so much money to switch. And we, we don't employ those kind of real discounts. We, here's what it costs. Here's what, Here's our value proposition, and and, and Jason's exactly right. I, I think, you know, we try to wake up every day thinking about how we can take care of those customers, and and it does help us that that we are somewhat limited, uh, certainly when it comes to electric, water, and sewer, uh, in terms of where we serve. But but in but but telecommunications too, we 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 serve the city limits of Conway. We do have a little bit of latitude to do more than that. We may talk about that a little later. But we're pretty densely located, and we. The customers that we serve are people we bump into all over town. So we want them to have a good experience. We, we don't have any turnover in our call center. We pay them well. We reward them well. And, and so that really provides that great customer experience. And it matters to people. It matters to people, especially when you have uh, maybe some of our more senior customers who want, who want Wi-Fi, you know, for their grandkids coming in. Sure. And they know someone like us is going to come take care of that for them if they have issues for it. So, so Jason's right. I mean, obviously – the speed, the reliability, the price is something that our customers have come to expect to, uh, from us. But that customer service aspect is, uh, as well is something that we do not ever take lightly. You know, that's something that uh, I've talked about with some folks. And then in an earlier, I was on the other end of the microphone doing an interview. And that was when they asked me about, you know, municipal broadband systems. That's one of the things I was saying was that in particular, especially communities that have a, a higher rate of elderly populations, the ability to get that that extra customized customer support, that can be really helpful. I've heard from folks where they'll say like, yeah, like someone gets a new phone, they they'll, they'll, they'll go to the store and get it. And they won't even ask them for help. They'll take it to the utility, and those folks will just spend you know ten or fifteen minutes helping make sure they got everything set up right. I I'm, I haven't heard any stories about that, but I, I I'd be willing to bet that there's some to tell I, if I just knew about them. I, oh, I, absolutely. I mean, we've heard about some of those over the years from our customer service teams. Um, you know, someone just trying to get their email set up on their phone or something like that, right? I mean, it, we're going to walk them through 
Um, if, if we're serving them in any form or fashion from a service perspective on any of the services that we have and that customer needs help, um, all of our folks go the extra mile when it comes to making sure that that customer is taken care of for sure. So Brett, as the, um, as the former CFO, then we can ask you about all the, all the numbers and how is everything set up? How does it work? You're, you're, uh, owned by the city. Uh, you have got a municipal electric utility and then how is your division related to all that? You know, there's a, there's a number of varieties of public power companies. The most common setup or organization is to be a part of city government. You know, the, the electric department manager reports to uh, the mayor or the city manager, whatever the case may be. We're not set up that way. We have an independent, we are a component unit of the city of Conway. We have a franchise and lease agreement with them for all of our services, electric, water, wastewater, uh, and then telecommunications and security as well. And so we have a, a seven board member, uh, our, our seven directors that we report to. So we have an independent board. And so the, the board is elected. Uh, they're ratified by the city council. And so really for all practical purposes, uh, the city council is our regulatory authority, but in terms of day-to-day operations, board meetings, um, there's a little bit of a healthy separation between us and the city because the decisions that we have to make are not uh, in four-year terms that, that tend to run in the political cycle. We have to plan five years, 10 years down the road uh, with all those things. And so it just gives us a lot of autonomy to run the utility in, in a manner that makes sense with a lot of best practices that really removes the politics from all of that. So does that, does that make sense to you? It does. Um, is that a, is that a popular election then that the, that your directors stand for? No, no. The, the way that works is we have um, a, a seven year cycle. So when a new, when the, when the, the, the director who is, who's chairperson, when they roll off, a new director comes in to replace them. So we have staggered seven year terms. And so we take nominations uh, from the community. You have to live in the city of Conway. It's a non-paid position. So you live in the city of Conway. We take nominations. uh, And then uh, those nominations are voted on by the existing board of directors. And then usually the first city council meeting after that, I carry that nomination or that election over to our city council and the mayor, and they, they ratify uh, that that director who was nominated. That's good. I, I I'm a big fan of staggered terms in general because I have a a real distrust of day to day politics getting in the way of of what y'all do. <laughs> well, and I'll and I'll tell you I'll tell you this. Um, we have a great relationship with the city of Conway. Uh, and, and years ago in the '80s, they they did a whole uh, blue ribbon committee commission to look at some of the major boards in the city of Conway because they felt like that you know the same people were serving all these boards. There wasn't an opportunity for just the the typical citizen to get a chance to participate. And so that's when you had board members that were on the board for, you know, 15, 16 years. And, and that's, that's not really the way that it ought to be. You ought to have an opportunity for people. Your board should look like your community and mm-hmm. people should have a chance to participate. And that change I think has made a, a lot of difference. Now board members can serve again, but they have to wait seven years before they can, before they can be uh, nominated again to serve on a board. Excellent. And then within Conway's Corp, then um, is uh, the electric side like fully separate from the broadband side or how does that work? So we essentially have four uh, distinct departments. They operate independently. So we have the electric department, uh, we have the water department, wastewater department, and then telecommunications. And so we have four separate audits on all those, on all those, um, on those respective departments. And they really, we, we try for each of those to stand on their own in terms of they have their own balance sheet, their own uh, income statement, 
we, they do their own financing. And so we, we, we really try, you know, granted, there's probably a, a, a little bit of, of, of cross-subsidization that takes place from the electric department. But for the most part, all those departments stand on their own. Uh, and, and I think that's really the best way to do it in terms of pricing signals to our customers. If all of those things were commingled together, then how would you know if you're really, uh, we're, we're really offering the, the right price for your products and services? And so from an electric water and wastewater perspective, we really do that based on cost of service. And we do really the same thing for telecom, except that it's a little more market driven. We really, uh, you know, th those rates, I will say this, our electric water and sewer rates, our board sets them, they're approved by the city council. But when it comes to telecommunication rates, our board can set them independently because the bottom line is if we're not competitive, our, our customers can can choose other providers. That's not true with, with electric water and sewer. Now, you said a little bit of cross-subsidization. I have to warn you that, that sometimes people want to blow things up when someone says something like that. So what, what does that entail entirely just to make sure it's nailed down? Well, what it entails entirely is the electric department owns the property and the buildings that we, that we work out of. In terms of electric bills, water and sewer bills, they pay, we have employees that work for those respective departments. Uh, and so the rates for electric, water, and sewer and telecom really pay for all of the expenses associated with serving the customers for those respective products and services. Really, the big thing is the fact that, with the exception of our data center, uh, the telecommunications department owns the data center. But the building that I'm in, the building that Jason's in, uh, really the electric department uh, owns that property. So the electric department paid for the chair that you're in. <laughs> yeah. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. There is someone somewhere who will be annoyed by that. I'm sure you hear from that person on a regular basis in your town. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're real transparent with our customers. And, and you know, when you look at, again, our value proposition, we have the lowest electric rates in the state uh, in one of the lowest cost and one of the lowest cost states in, in the country. Yeah. Uh, I know and, that because my uncle moved there for that reason. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. He's up in well, Barrowville. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, the, he lives where in Barrowville? Yep. Okay, North North Arkansas. Well, I'll tell you, the people that appreciate us most are the people that move here from somewhere else, or the people that leave and go somewhere else. And they realize <laughs> they well, they realize when they got that one bill with everything on it: electric, water, wastewater, telecommunications, security, phone. Uh, and they look they look at that total bill, and they typically get uh, when they move away an electric bill that's just the electric part is more than all the products and services <laughs> on the bill provided by Common Corp. So. So yeah, some customer might get annoyed by it, but I think when they look at their their bill, they think that it's they think and know that it's true. We're, we're offering a really good value, and we're very cost conscious. We don't necessarily want to be the cheapest because we want, as Jason mentioned a minute ago, we want to make sure we're plowing you know uh, money back into our plant. It's important, and you don't have fast reliable service unless you're doing that. All of what we did that survived the pandemic and and how we've evolved our services and and why we have the market share that we have is because we've continually invested in that infrastructure and it takes time. It's that it's, it doesn't happen overnight to make those changes. Those changes take time to make, like Brett was saying, you know, we're planning five and 10 years out on what we have to do. And so how does that translate to the, the, the technologies and, and the equipment that we place out there in the system? And to that point, uh, you had mentioned 15 year cycles. Uh, you're 11 years into that, into that cycle. So I'm guessing that you're looking ahead right now. What do you see on the horizon? Uh, well, I mean, that, that's the, the next step. We've already started that evolution. I would say we're probably really in our final push of maximizing our HFC plant with a lot of the pieces that we've done over the last 11 years since that last upgrade. 
a lot of a lot has happened in there. Um, you know, again, I mentioned upgrading to the one gigahertz plant. Um, we collapsed all of our analog video that we offered in the system. We migrated to uh, a bunch of Node Plus Zero designs uh, in the system. About 70% of our system is Node Plus Three or less. We reallocated spectrum. We deployed Doxis 3.1. We've expanded the upstream spectrum. Um, we've launched app-based TV or IPTV. All of those components in this last, you know, last decade, right, leading up to this, is allowing us to really maximize the HFC plant to its, its fullest extent without necessarily looking at Doxis 4.0 or anything like that. And what we've done is we've made the decision that you know, fiber um, in Greenfield to start out with is, is where we're at. We're going to an XGS pond, all fiber network. Um, we actually have customers that you know, will turn up probably in the next 30 to 60 days in those new subdivisions. Uh, and then as parts of the plant need rebuilds over the next several years, then those will be evaluated on, you know, is it more cost effective to make some changes to HFC and continue down the road? Or do we replace it with XGS uh, PON going forward? You know, the biggest challenges you have with, with, with PON and, and making those changes is getting in the customer's home. That's the single biggest change factor for a customer um, is getting in there to, to address their equipment needs if they have to change that. Um, and so those will be some of the big challenges that we've got going over the next several years. But fiber is definitely uh, out there. We've, we've completed a fiber master plan a few years ago, uh, and we've started planning for what those major fiber trunks look like and how we develop those. But again, all that takes time. And so we wanted to make sure that we could maximize our HFC plant to its fullest extent while we're making that transition uh, and as we continue to make that transition. And for people who are trying to figure out what some of that means, because I, I appreciate that. A number of our listeners are love it when we get into those level of details to know not just that you're doing fiber, but exactly what you're doing with it. Um, but the XGS pond is the next version of of uh, fiber to the home for a certain branch of the the, the um, uh, passive optical networking for the. For and the it's essentially who- essentially 10 gig pond is, right. is what it's capable of. But um, so much and- more, right? <laughs> It, it is, and we looked at we looked at the option of just doing uh, a regular GPON uh, type deployment to get started. And again, we've we've tended to look a little bit further out. It may cost us a little bit more on the front end to get out there, but we'd rather be a little bit further ahead instead of making a small iteration. We want to make a larger iteration, uh, so we're prepared uh, as that happens. And and so uh, as more and more uh, folks deploy XGS PON, it'll drive down the costs of what those additional XGS PON deployments cost. Uh, and so we'll, we should be on the front end of that for getting ready for it and be able to take advantage of it as more and more people start to, to deploy it from a cost perspective as well. Something else that I see in, in communities like yours is often the neighbors start to say, hey, you know, uh, we're getting kind of jealous of what you've got over there. Would you mind expanding? Uh, are you feeling any of that, any of that pressure, any temptations? What's, uh, what's next in, in that regard? You know, you know, you alluded to it in maybe one of the earlier questions or some of the questions you sent about uh, – the, the, the legislative landscape changing in Arkansas that will allow us to, to do and serve other areas uh, if, if we chose to, to do that. And our really, our mission, uh, our vision, our mission is for the city of Conway. Uh, and, and we are certainly evaluating uh, areas just on the fringe of Conway. Right now we can serve two miles. Well, as, as it stands now with recent legislation, we can basically serve where we want to. And I will tell you that if we do that, Wherever we serve outside the city, it has to make good economic sense for us. Mm-hmm. You know, that has to be first and foremost. But we do have people right on the fringes that are going, hey, you know, we moved out here. We like the fact that we 
bought this piece of land. It was a little cheaper out here, but my wife is killing me because we don't have good broadband. We don't have Wi-Fi. Uh, we're probably going to move back into town if we don't if we don't have any way to, to solve that. So we're looking at some of those densely populated areas just on the fringes of Conway. Um, and I think those are the areas that make a lot of good sense for us to serve. Um, th- there's a lot of federal money that's being thrown around for those kinds of things. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think we'd like to go out and get and get uh, get those customers while we can. Uh, so certainly uh, in, uh, on the on the fringes of Conway, we're looking at places we can serve. But but reaching far beyond that, um, that's not really on our strategic planning process right now. We certainly, if there's other municipal public you know public power companies and, and they're interested in doing that, we we would be we we talk to them and see if there's some sort of way we could help or if there's some sort of um, partnership that makes sense. But but our mission and vision and core values has always been really centered around. Uh, the city of Conway, and so we we want to we want to entice people to move here. We want to entice areas to annex into the city, and so those have always been kind of carrots that we have out there to to get people to to try to move to Conway or or uh, to annex into the city. Well, let's finish up with within Conway. Then, what are a couple of anecdotes or just any any stories um, that sort of I, I like to think of it in terms of this is hard work. You got a lot of responsibility. What makes you glad you're doing this rather than something that might be easier? <laughs> you know, this past 12 months um, has really uh, confirmed what we always knew uh, working at the local utility. Um, and that is that local broadband for us is an economic driver. It helps with quality of place for our community. Our customers have, have, have gotten to the point where they expect broadband reliability to be just like electric water and sewer. I mean, the, mm-hmm. you know, 99.9 is what they're looking for. Um, but we are, um, we are really uh, are doing an innovation hub here in our city. It's called the Honor Innovation Center, named after our, our, our previous CEO. And it is going to be a co-working space. I'm looking at it right now through my window. It's in downtown Conway. And we're going to provide all the high-speed internet, all the, all the telecom for that building. And really, hopefully it's another, the ne- kind of the next evolution of economic development. And, and I don't think you could do that unless you could offer the kind of broadband service that, that Jason and his team and our operations teams have been able to develop. And so, um, so I think that's, that's something that we've learned. The, the, the pieces from a, from the community perspective and what the network does, the most recent one, right. Being the pandemic and, and the, the remote learning uh, and the teleworking that we had to uh, provide, and, and customers that it, that were in Conway, that customers of ours for sure, went into that remote learning or that virtual schooling or the teleworking that they were doing with the hopes that their internet was going to hold up and that was going to do what they needed to do for them to be able to do that, um, and it did. Um, and and that was, I mean, that to me, that's one of the most important things that that came out of the the pandemic piece is that we were able to provide those opportunities for folks to, to be at home and use their internet product to actually continue to do their, their lives and stay in touch with people and, and work and do schooling. But we've taken and we've used the system in a lot of different ways. I mean, we deployed over the last several years in AMI uh, deployment, which uses our entire internal network. So our automated uh, metering infrastructure is based on uh, and runs across our own network to read all the electric and water meters in the city uh, on a on a daily basis, city government uses it. We've got you know we connect all of our city government facilities up with fiber. Uh, our our public schools again. Brett mentioned early on you know we were founded around education. 
when we, we talk about that 1995 rebuild and kind of forethought in what's there in 1995 at the time we dropped fiber at every one of the schools that was in Conway at that time, we didn't turn it on, but we laid the groundwork in 1995. So in 2010, when all those schools wanted to be connected up with fiber, we were actually able to connect every school in Conway uh, with uh, one gig fiber at the time. And now it's a full 10 gig network between all of the public schools in Conway. Um, same thing with our higher ed. You know, we've got connections with those and telemedicine for the hospitals. We've, we've connected a lot of that up with the hospitals. So I think there's a lot of, of, of reasons the network is important to the community of Conway uh, and why we've provided there. And, and I think that's going to continue to evolve and we're going to continue to bring more and more of those opportunities to bear with the network that we have. Um, and, and, and I think communities without this type of a network certainly are going to you know, have challenges from an economic development perspective and, and things of that nature. And uh, we were fortunate that there was some really good forethought in some of the leaders early on about bringing some of the systems that we had here. Um, uh, and we've just built on it. That's all we've done. Uh, we've, we've taken what their vision was uh, and continued to build on it and continue to expand it to provide uh, services to the, to the city. Excellent. It's uh, it's exciting. And hopefully there's a uh, whole new generations of folks who are coming into Conway right now who will never want to leave. So thank you. Thank you both for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. That was Christopher talking with Brett Carroll and Jason Hansen. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 457 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>